Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. I'm Ross Carr. We've got lots for you today. We have an inaugural Super Rugby Opiki champion. We've had a bit of Super Rugby from the weekend. Some incredible Six Nations. Of course, we'll talk about France and how they're stacking up before the next Rugby World Cup and a few other things to get through as well this week, including a very special guest to kick us off at the start of the show. It's not James Parsons <laughs> and it's not Bryn Hall. It is 2022 Super Rugby Opiki champion with the Chiefs Manoa, Chelsea Simple. Welcome on board. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> now, in COVID times, what does a celebration look like? 24 hours in? Oh, still pretty good, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, sun- Sunday night, we just we just stayed with our team in our, our team room here in Hamilton and, um, yeah, had a, had a real good celebration, as, as we deserve to, I think. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit dusty today, but I, I didn't... Um, I called it early, so... <laughs> now, obviously, the story of the tournament well for me anyway and I'm sure a lot of other people was having your husband James coach the Blues and uh, yourself in the Manawa talk us through that experience I suppose when you're in that competitive mindset but also now post it and and the results there no doubt he's supporting you yeah it's been um it's been an interesting experience obviously of we've had the experience of him coaching me um we did that two years in the Waikato women's team and um, but this is the first time we've obviously um, been been rivals with each other. So, um, yeah, the banter's been really good. Uh, he's really enjoyed his time up, up with the Blues. And um, it, it's really weird, though, because we talk about code so much at home. Um, and <laughs> with him coaching the Blues and me being in the Manawa, both pretty um, professional and protective of our information and stuff, there's... Yeah, it's been hard to kind of steer away from the rugby chat and try and get little bits of bits and pieces of information off each other. Um, we we did promise that no matter who won, who took the trophy home, we wouldn't brag about it today. Um, but I didn't promise that I wouldn't wear Chiefs kit around the house all day. So. <laughs> That's outstanding. I can He's hear walking him. around the house now, not feeling too happy. Wow. <laughs> Chelsea, surely, surely he doesn't have a job moving forward for next year. No points uh, <laughs> as a coach, surely. Oh. That'd be your bragging rights for the day. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty stoked to keep them scoreless, to be honest. Um, I'm hearing a lot of um, chat about the ref and all these other things, but 
at the end of the day, I think it was pretty convincing. So, <laughs> just just going back to um, obviously the start of the tournament, and um, you know obviously your delayed arrival in, into Topo. Uh, just seeing that little flick pass, try assist, humble flick pass for the try assist last night. Although it was challenging that period, you still were really focused on your day-to-day skill work you could do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty unfortunate for me joining the party late because um, of COVID. Um, kind of put me on the back foot. But although I wasn't able to do kind of my, my usual conditioning sessions and fitness trainings and real physical stuff, I was still able to, to do lots of skill work in the backyard. And um, my plan worked as soon as I got COVID. I made sure my husband got it too, so he was home with me. And, and although he was coach of the Blues, um. I said, you know, I'm, I'm your wife before you're a coach, so get out in the backyard and practice some skills with me <laughs> and give me some coaching. So, so awesome. it worked. I was pretty lucky. <laughs> um, Chelsea, I just had a question um, just more so around the competition structure in that. Um, no doubt, obviously, it's a little bit frustrating around the, the condensed competition and obviously with the COVID protocols and that, but obviously getting it started and, and having the competition, what did you feel that were the positives around the, the competition, something that you might want to see moving forward? moving forward for the girls in the competition, moving forward to Old Picky in 2023? Yeah, I mean, it was it was challenging um, with with COVID and everything. And, and there was it was changing an environment all the time for us. And we had to just be able to adapt, which is really tough, I think, um, for the woman, because, you know, we need to get time off, off work. And we've got mums on the team who have to find caregivers for babies and all these sorts of things. Mm. Um, so having the condensed bubble, it was tough for some people, but um, for me personally, I saw it as really the only option to get this competition um, off the ground and up and running. And the only thing that a lot of us knew for sure was that we had to play this Opiki tournament, um, not just for the growth of women's rugby, but for the growth of, of the current like Black Ferns and, and top women's rugby players in the country to get that top level competition as we head into a home World Cup year. Um, and I think the, the benefit of what we've all got from this tournament has been massive, huge amounts of benefits. So um, I'm happy it went ahead, but I can see that, I can feel and I can see that um, the public want more, we want more. I think there's room for more. So the stakes in the ground now, and I think next year it's, it's gonna have to be bigger and better and it's gonna be a massive beast moving forward and, and something for the girls to aspire to, to like bridge that gap between FPC and Black Ferns as well. So a, a success, but still plenty of room for growth, I believe. In a perfect world for you, what is bigger and better, Chelsea? Like, what do you see as the way that it should look next year? Um, if I'm being 100% honest, I'd just, I'd love to see contracts for and franchises for women. Um, so women, the Chiefs Manawa and all these other franchises are able to have full-time women, are able to play a proper, um, proper competition like the men's and the super rugby and women's competition in Australia is really strong at the moment too. So it would be awesome to have some trans-Tasman competition get underway as well. Um, if we get there next year or in another few years, I'm not sure, but that would be my ideal world to be a fully contracted, not only just Blackfern, but part of the Chiefs whanau. 
That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? And it would give you more time in camp together. I suppose a couple of weeks is one thing, isn't it? But if you want to catch up to where the English and the French have got to in the last little while, it's about repetition, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And we learnt that last year, you know, two years without games and coming up against those ladies who have been full-time professional and have been playing a lot of games. Um, there, it was just, we couldn't match them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, with us for the Opiki as well, I mean, we only had a couple of weekend camps leading into it, and one of our camps yeah. fully got um, cancelled, as did the other franchises, and one camp got cut in half. So I, I honestly think we had two or three days on the grass maximum together, and we were still able to put out some exciting yeah. rugby and um, some rugby that, that the spectators really enjoyed watching. So just imagine what yeah. we could do and what we could show show the country with a bit more time together, a bit more time to prepare and, and more ideal conditions. Just one just one thing, Chelsea, moving on from that, obviously um, it was a really tough campaign for you girls in that Northern Hemisphere tour. Just be really interested to see what you thought around the improvements that you guys needed to make for this World Cup coming up. Like just seen from through Alpiki, um, it was a great spectacle and there's a lot of great brand of rugby, but I just found, I don't know if you felt you were out there playing it, but the breakdown area, especially on attack, there were a lot of turnovers and conceded from defensive sides being able to jackal and get on the ball. And I just think maybe moving forward, did you guys talk around that defensive breakdown and more so the physicality on attack to be able to build high phases and then put these teams like England and France under pressure? Yeah, 100%. Um, that's a massive, massive work on for us at the moment in this country and it's nationwide is um, being able to hold on to the ball for more than three phases. Mm. Um, our, our breakdown work definitely um, needs a lot of work. Uh, overseas, we got we got pretty dominated in that area, um, but we improved drastically from the first game to the last game, and that just came from game time. Um, we went on the end of year tour. Myself, I'd played five FPC games for the whole year and one Super mm -hmm. Rugby game in February. Um, so for me, I, running out on the field personally, like if I'm really honest, the contact area, the collision area, just the the little the little unseen things here and there. I just was not um, internationally um, match fit prepared for. So, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and I think um, that'll come with with game time as well. Um, and the other area that we were just not up to scratch in was was just our fitness, really fitness, and which leads into physicality and aggression because we're not able to keep putting out repeat efforts for a long time. And and again, that, that comes back, back to lack of games and, and stuff as well. So, I mean, we've already got the upper hand this year and, and we know we've got to keep playing games. So there's there's tours lined up. Um, and yeah, we got a, we, we learned a lesson last year. So you're going to see a different side come out this year, that's for sure. Chelsea, on that as well, the contract structures have changed for the Blackfern squad. So I've, I'm thinking that will play a big part especially in that fitness side of things and being prepared for for more fixtures yeah definitely um yeah I've, I've been in the game a long time and i've been part of the black ferns for a long time and this is the first time i've ever had it as my full-time job where you know i get to go to work and at a normal time in the morning train all day recover properly do all the little things properly um in the last 10 years you know it's been you go training in the morning you go to work and you train at night you don't have the time to to recover well, to, to sort out your nutrition properly. So for us having a full, um, you know, 30 odd girls with full contracts, able to live and breathe it 
to put all of their time mm. and energy into rugby and also have the balance outside of rugby is going to make a huge difference. I wish there were more contracts because I believe we need a we need a bigger depth of players doing this. Um, otherwise, it's going to go like this. We have got kind of the top ones getting all of this resource and the, the ones underneath it are going to fall behind a little bit. So, yeah, I, I just hope that the, the next pool of players is going to be well looked after as well. Speaking of the next pool, were there any of, uh, uh, I suppose, the unknown names stand out to you? I mean, I saw a couple. I thought um, Olsen Baker yesterday for the Hurricanes poll was mm. just amazing. Like, yep. her, you talk about winning collisions and providing the opportunity to get quick attacking ruck ball. Um, she, she certainly put herself on the map. Yeah, 100%. Um, Kaipo is just an amazing talent. And she's actually been out of the game for over a year with the ACL reconstruction. And that game with the Hurricanes Power was her first game back. And wow. she's just a young kid. And yeah, I mean, I had to tackle her and I felt it the next day. <laughs> um, so more more of those young girls like that. There's Liana McCurley Tu'u from the Blues as well. Um, her and young Maya Roos, they're two dominant ball carriers. And these are, these are just young, enthusiastic, strong girls that are coming through. So um, I definitely think, you know, I saw, I saw Glenn Moore sitting up in the stands and he'll, he'll be adding a few names to the list of, of people to talk to, I'm sure. And, and we've got camp coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'll, I'll be seeing some of those girls there for, for sure. So you've got quite a few camps coming up, Chelsea. There's a fair bit of time together. Yeah, we got a couple, uh, two camps in April and one in May, and then a team will get selected to play. Um, I think it's into June, July series. Um, I'm not quite 100% sure what, what that looks like at the moment. Um, like I said, ever changing environment with with COVID, but we will have um, tests um, against some other international teams, so that'll be good. Sorry, Charles. Just just going back the Chiefs as well obviously you girls seem to hit your stride right at the back end of the competition and um, your coach obviously talked about it as well the fact that it felt like if you guys were to play more games you guys were going to play you were going to see a much better product um, just talk to us behind the scenes around what made that Chiefs Manawa group so good because on TV you could see how tight you guys were your haka the intensity that your girls showed with that but then your ability at the back end of the competition you guys were just leaps and bounds above the competition so just give us a little insight to what how it was in, in that camp yeah, we had an unreal management group. Um, we had Alan Bunting as, as head coach, and I think it's pretty well known what an amazing job he done with the seven skills and, and their um, success over in Tokyo at the Olympics. And that was my first time being coached by him, and he is just a man that just oozes mana, and he creates yeah. such a cool environment, and it's more than just being about rugby um, for him. And he had a, an awesome management group that backed him up as well. And also our captain, um, Les Elder, was a massive part of creating that culture as well. So, yeah, we, we always link everything back to um, our roots, where we come from. Um, and I think it just helped everyone buy into the team. And we took the time to get to know each other um, probably more than, I've been, more than I've done in any other team. Um, and I think that just creates trust um, on the field as well. Being in the bubble environment, obviously, you got a lot more time to spend together. So um, we were able to really build on that culture and build on our connection. And um, yeah, like I said, our management gave us all the all the time we needed to make sure that that was really strong. And I think, yeah, like you said, you could see it in the last game when it when it all came together. We had a few games there where we knew what we wanted to do, we just weren't quite executing. Um, and in that in that last game, our phrase was just to unleash our tanifa, which is 
unleash what's inside us um, and play with freedom and, and play with fun. And, and I think mm. that's what we achieved. So, yeah. We definitely saw definitely. that with the Porsche Woodman try. You unleashed everything in that try. That was an incredible try. Yeah. How do you think I feel trying to keep up with her when she gets a runaway? <laughs> you showed a pretty clean set of heels to get around the outside. I think we can forget about that. Oh, no. When she goes, I'm, I just pretend I, I haven't seen him. <laughs> you mentioned getting to know each other better. What does that entail? Is that just sitting down with someone and asking them about themselves, or is that a team building session? What does that look like to get to really get to know your teammates? Yeah, there's a few different things. So we had um, a culture group in our in our team that run little fun nights for us. Like we had a um, casino night and we had a bingo night, and and you're in mini teams, and then you've got to go and um, break off into other little groups that you wouldn't probably usually find yourself um, going to hang out with. So. With, with Chiefs, we had a, we had girls come from different regions. We had um, Maya from down in Otago and Georgia Dales from Wellington, girls that I'd never talked to in my life. And by the end of it, I felt like I knew them so well just because, um, yeah, having those moments to be able to sit and chat with people. Um, another cool thing we, we did was in our jersey presentations, because of the COVID situation, again, we couldn't get anyone in to present our jerseys as we usually would. So girls would actually stand up and talk about what the jersey means to them and what what kind of journey they've been on and our girls are pretty awesome at being really vulnerable and and opening themselves up and sharing sharing their journey and sharing their emotion and I think there's there's not no more powerful way to connect a team than than hearing someone's struggles and seeing them kind of have the trust in their team to open up and, and share that with each other so that was that was a really awesome thing that I experienced in the team was just girls even that you think you've known for a long time and and seeing them open up and and learn stuff about them that you would never have known was pretty powerful so yeah just lots of little things like that. You were an open book at the end of last year's inaugural game you came off the back and you talked about your emotions coming off such a huge moment to being kind of a little flat Mm. in the days afterwards has it changed this year you know knowing all the things that are in play uh, does it feel better this time around? Yeah, for sure it does. I mean, after the game last year, you know, um, I went back to teaching at Hamilton Boys High the, the following day and back to early morning starts. And it was just, just a grind for me. And yeah, I, I opened up and I was vulnerable. And um, yeah, I hope I hope that, that helped a few other girls that might have been struggling with the same thing. But this year, um, it does feel different because I'm back straight into a rugby environment where my employers know what I've been through in, in the last few weeks and I'm much, much better looked after. Um, it's not such a, such a grind and trying to hold down all these different jobs and positions to, to um, make ends meet in that. So, yeah, it definitely feels different. I mean, the World Cup's going ahead this year. There's tests in place and there's, a, there's an end goal. So, yeah. There won't be any uh, vulnerable posts for me. Just just emotion about winning the first Super Rugby Open game, which still feels pretty surreal. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and in a cheap shirt, no hey, less. I don't know why Bryn's saying come on. I'm pretty sure he was right behind the Matatu, and and I, I actually said I think the Chiefs are the favourite. So I'm yeah, just meaning yeah. more so that it's good, to, um, it's, good, it's good to have another panellist as a champion. It's good, man. Hey, Trans Tessin, mate, it's a beautiful trophy. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. There's three of us now. There's three of us. 
They nearly got caught. I was short. Yeah, true. They got caught short. I was, I was, I was backing my butt to two girls, but no, they you. Mate, Chiefs Manor were too good. Way too good. Mate, you're already on the good. Rebels dartboard. Don't Cheers, make bro. you come to my one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chelsea, uh, obviously we won't keep you for much longer, but is there, um, you know, I know you're a big golfer now. You're on your golfing journey. Um, is, is there a person <laughs> in, your, in your household that has the superior handicap? <laughs> oh, honestly... If you came out to golf with me and James, you'd be in fits of laughter. <laughs> I can play one really good hole, and I'm like, I've nailed this golf thing. And then the next hole, I'm just topping the ball the whole way up to the hole. And I get frustrated because I, I hate not being good at stuff. But, man, yeah, discovering golf in the last few months has, has definitely been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly James, is. James would need a Me and James, James are pretty even. We're pretty coach. even, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Actual. James would need a mental skills coach. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I say to him when it, on the golf course, I don't know how you played first five and control teams. You can't even control your temper if you like, drive it. <laughs> he straight. did it. He couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> nah. He was good, man. Is that why he, he finished up early? He ran a good cutter. Hey, Brent, have you oh, been nice. put on the bench this week or something, mate? You're coming in hot. <laughs> nah, sorry, mate. Nah. I've just got a lot of energy. Energy. Well, thank you very much, Chelsea, uh, for joining us once again. Chelsea Simple, uh, Chiefs champion of Super Rugby, Opiki. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll uh, catch you soon. Thanks, team. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Chelsea. Yeah, sweet. See ya. Now, there's another Chiefs team um, which we've got to take a look at. Super Rugby Pacific has just got going again for one game of the weekend because of COVID, but the Chiefs showed they're pretty damn hot, the men. Yeah, well, I mean, this is one of the biggest reasons that I tip them as, as contenders at the start of the year is their depth. And I think to lose 19 mm. players, have a disrupted week and put a performance like that together was pretty impressive. And I think um, Burr at seven is probably the best example of that. He's probably never played seven before, normally like a lock six um, in the MPC. And man, he was just a terrier at those breakdowns. He was into everything. Um, so I, I, I always think when there's changes like that and they perform, it shows something special is happening in that environment. Mm, mm. With the, the depth mm. they've got too, the number of injuries that are within that squad. In fact, that's the Chiefs every year, isn't it? It feels like the Chiefs <laughs> go through at least 30 players a year. But again, Bryn, they've got that depth mm. and yet somehow they put teams on and the next player steps up and it's Crusader-like. Well, I think that's what, I think Brad Webber actually brought up a really good point in his post-match. Um, they talked around what made these guys come in and make it seem seamless and like, you know, just it was just another day in the office. It was based around, you know, they had injuries a couple of years ago when they had to bleed in a lot of young players in that kind of two-year period. And now you've seen the fruition of those players and that experience that they had in that time where they get the opportunity now to be able to, doesn't matter who plays, they've got enough experience in those, especially in the Super Rugby Aotearoa games. There's a lot of learnings for that group. And then... Yeah, look, I, you know, he looks at the likes of Bryn, Bryn Gatlin again, who I thought, you know, he stays at, in my form 15 again, who's playing some tremendous footy. But I think it's around him and the shape that they're playing at. Um, you know, traditionally last year, um, the shape that they had, they'd, have, they'd drop off that dummy cut and have the two runners outside the 10. But at the moment, it seems like they've got the three runners outside and they can hit any options uh, moving forward. So I think the variety of their play around their face play shape off that is the example that I use. But then once they hit that ruck and then they're playing face play shape off that, everybody seems to be aligned and it's, it's really, really good. And like you said, they scored six tries on the weekend in that second half and it just didn't give Moana Pacifica a chance to, to breathe. The lightning tempo that Brad Webber was there, the efficiency of the breakdown, 
was clean and um, you know to be honest you know we would have thought this would have been a scoreline considering um, where the Chiefs have been but it's another thing to do it especially with a with a lot of change that they did on the weekend. I think Brenner as well you speak about that phase play shape for me when I was watching it it's the consistency they run the same lines and they just wait for the ball to be hit to them and then to back you up on Gats his his decision making of who to hit because it's actually, you know, one thing to, for them to all run the same lines but then pick the right bloke. So if you mm. look at Slater going through, that's a great decision there. Nankerville's try. He just goes straight through a gaping hole, but it's the people that are running out the back, the other lines, that sucks in defenders and it forces a defender to make a decision. But then it also forces a guy with the ball in his hand to make a decision. And if you pick the wrong one, you can... Well, that's where hospital pass comes from, doesn't it? And, and time and time again, we're seeing the consistency in their shape of phase play, but consistently the right decision made by their playmakers to give the, the ball to the person in space. Yeah, we've been giving Brent Gatlin some big ups for a couple of years. Oh, you now. don't need too much yeah. for us to, yeah. <laughs> to start crying yeah, about him. That's right. He's the favourite of the show. But you, you touched on him before. What is different about Bryn this year? Or is anything different? Is it just that he's doing what we've always known that he could do? Oh, I, I think it's also the, the pack he's playing behind. You know, we're talking about Peter Gus and All Black selection now, and, and you're trying to find space for other All Blacks, and are they, you know, where are they going to be? And then you know, having someone like Brad Weber playing more consistently as well and, and having that time in the saddle. But then I also think, you know, he's, he is a confidence player and he's, he's confident. When he's taking that ball to the line and he has the ability to run, pass or kick, that's when he's at his best. Um, but also he's got his balance right of when to play down the other end. So I just think he's finding the feat that Bryn and I know so well at MPC level, at Super Rugby level now. And, and I think last year's experience in the final, um, other big games um, in Super Rugby Aotearoa uh, were crucial to him coming into this year and, and being able to pull it off. Competition helps as well. Mm. I think Josh Iwani going yeah. there, competition helps, brings the best out of him. Yeah, Brim, what do you see? I mean, you played a lot inside him. Um, what does he bring when he's played outside you that made him special to play with? I think when he's had success at, um, at especially with North Harbour, Mighty 10 Cup or Bunnings NPC, it's when he's actually been attacking the line. And so for the fact that he's been able now to do it at Super Rugby, that's probably been the biggest improvement that I've seen him. Like we, we've always talked about his distribution and his kicking game as a massive strength of his. But... It's the ability now that when you don't know with Brent if he's either going to pass, if he's going to run, or he's going to kick. And so as a defender, it's so much harder to be able to defend that. And so, like I said, the, the, the amount of line breaks that he's making, because he's making the right decision, like Jip said, because it's the right option to do. Whereas I probably see at times in North Harbour, when he does play well, but he might do a, a bad pass where it doesn't go to the right player or it's a kick out on the full. But at the moment with Bryn, his consistency and his decision-making skills under pressure and on going on front football... It's just at a, at a place where it hasn't been. It's at a higher level from where it was at NPC. Yes, we've talked about his NPC and how he's played there, but I even think I think he's even taken it to another level because he's made, he's playing consistently and there's no mistakes that are happening. It's all good decision and all really good decision-making um, that he's doing as well. And, and part of that is the breakdowns and the, the boys up front mm. are, are providing that ball, but they're creating deep rucks, which doesn't allow line speed pressure, which gives you time on the ball to make the right decisions. So there's so many moving parts they're allowing him to bring the best out of himself. And I, and I do think that's a big factor is the Chiefs breakdown, that their brutality around that is always there. But I think they're starting to be real accurate in it and using only one or two bullets to, to clean it, which, which means there's more guys on their feet, more threats for the defenders to read, and then time on the ball for their game drivers. The bullet's a new one. I haven't heard the bullet. Sorry, before. Ross. That's Sorry, just Ross. going in and getting yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm a bullet and I have to move you. 
Yeah. We only need to use one. We don't want to use two. Right, nice, nice. <laughs> Luckily you're tied to the, um, the chair there. We don't have to worry about that. What were you going to say? Sorry, Ross. Yeah, sorry, just on that as well. And we, I think it's more so, it's the flow when you talk around the phase play shape and Bryn making good decisions. It's because like what the point that Jip brought up around, everybody's in the right spot. So it's really easy as a playmaker if you can if you know exactly where your person's supposed to be, whether it's a, if it's a skip pass or if it's out the back or if it's a kick, and everything's consistent and really good communications coming into you. Whereas you know you got Bunnings NPC, there might be a few guys that aren't in position or aren't running the right lines. But coming back to Jip's point, with them all being on the same page as an inside back, it's just so much more easy to be able to execute under pressure when you've got people in the right place to make it easy for you. Um, before we move on to talking about Moana Pacifica, let's touch on. The Chiefs, we talked about their depth, but when you look at Tupo Va'i playing well at blindside flanker, Peter Gus, as you mentioned, going great at number eight. Then you've got Brody, Josh Lord, Luke Jacobson, my boy, to come back. How do you fit all of these guys into a starting lineup? Is it possible? Do you want to? Um, I, hate, I hate to crow about the Crusaders once again, but I'm going to have to. Um, how many times have we seen All Blacks sit on the bench for the Crusaders? Mm. And, and that's just going to be a reality here. It just doesn't fit. So, so one person is probably going to have to sit on the bench each week. I don't know how you see it, Bryn, but um, you, you can't yeah. manufacture them any other way. There's, there's not enough spots. So, uh, I mean, the key is probably around that locking spot. I think Jacobson, uh, Pitagas and Sam Kane sort of go straight in there. Um, and then it's probably Brody and Tupo Vai. Um, and then them being managed with, with a young fellow like Josh Lord. And I think the role Josh played off the bench on the weekend shows how eager he is to be out on the grass and that mm. energy, um, enthusiasm and excitement when there's tired bodies mm. uh, late in the game can be can be really beneficial. You go the same way, maybe Josh Lord off the bench? Yeah, that's the exact setup that I would go. And what it does do, you know, I talk around through our experiences of like, you know, having locks or doesn't matter what position it is where there's depth. It just adds to your training as well. It adds to the depth and your the intensity that you bring at training because you've got guys that want to be in that starting lineup, so you should be, you're a competitor. But what it does do, it brings up the intensity at training because you want to, you know, going into training, you've got to prove yourself and be at a high consistency to try and beat them out for it when you get out on the field as well. So um, I think from experience around having a really good depth in our squad, it's just going to bring the level of training up, better expectation at training, and then it's going to be able to flow on. And when you have the opportunity, when you do play, uh, you just take it consistently, you keep having to go. Bryn, what about Moana Pacifica? You know, it was a step backwards, I suppose, um, against a very, very strong Chiefs team. What went wrong for them from what you saw? I think it was just, uh, in that first half, they gave away a lot of penalties in that first half. You know, they gave away, I think it was nine or ten penalties in that first half. So, look, we've talked about it a lot before around, especially a hot Chiefs team like that, you can't afford to give them opportunities inside the goal line or relieve pressure. And probably that first half, they did that a lot. They only gave away five penalties in the second half. But, you know, the fact that the Chiefs, had so much ball in that second half, and they were just, to be honest, it didn't matter what one of Pacifica did in that second half, just with how um, of a high uh, motor the, the kind of the Chiefs were rolling at. But I think as well, set piece, there were a couple of times in that first half, they had a couple of line opportunities, really got themselves in a position to be able to try and score points, and they didn't execute their line out throw. So, um, and then, you know, so we've talked about it a lot. The discipline is going to be a big factor and set piece at crucial times in games. And those are probably two areas that I thought um, they got wrong on the weekend. Joe, I don't know if you saw the same, but those are the two yeah. things that I saw. Like, like, honestly, discipline was huge. I think it was 14-4, to 4, the penalty count. And, and, yeah, the Chiefs were in high mode, but they were given opportunity to be in high mode time and mm. time again in that second 40. And, I, and yeah. I think they have to find a way, rather than trying to play themselves, 
um, out of situation. They had 27% um, territory in the second half, but they had 49% of the ball. So it's nearly 50-50 with yes. ball, but you're trying to play out of your half rather than you look at Willie Harvelli's 50-22. Um, um, you, you know, he's got a cannon. Just use it. You know, if we even look at the Italian game, like they didn't play any stuff in their half and, and it gives you an opportunity to stay in games and, and win. And then thirdly, I think, um, you know, speaking of Slater going through. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And Nankerville going through, you've always got to mark that front body, I think. You can't have defensive misreads that big because it's just too damaging when teams get in beside you. So you, you, sometimes you're better off to you know, tighten up and, and show no hole and use the sideline as your friend. Um, rather than going for the guy out the back, and that is a that's a straight 50-50 play if Bryn makes the right call to hit Slater or the guy at the back, or um, same thing with Nankville and whoever ran out the back of him. So those big defensive misreads, I think, need to be shored up, but can be quickly. And then there's their balance of attack when they're you know stuck in their half is huge. So 59-12 against the Chiefs, not a great read. Against the Hurricanes, how do you see that playing out? I don't think, you know... They didn't give themselves a chance in that second half, but they were right in, in it. Uh, you know, at 12-7, Bryn, I don't know how you saw it. They were right in yeah. the fight. Um, they were winning some physical con- collisions. Yeah, they had a couple of lineouts that didn't go astray, but their lineout was pretty clinical in the second half. They were winning a lot of it off the back. So I don't think it's panic stations. They just need to believe in their systems and, and shore up discipline. It's no different for any team that reviews themselves. Any time mm. you've got over 10 penalties, you're just giving the opposition a piggyback into your... And then those defensive reads. Defence wins championships. Time and time again, defence will win championships. And we, we've, we've seen this, you know, um, even this year, if you look at the Six Nations or other um, games that have been tight, it's been on the back of, of tight defence. Yeah, yeah. Well, should we have a quick look over the Tasman? You mentioned the draw who fell just short of the force 2018. Did you see that one playing out like that? Uh, look, I picked the force 1-12, to 12, um, but I... I Knew it would be tight. The Drua tackled at 94%. They made more tackles. Like, that's a hell of an effort. Um, and kept themselves right in the game. And, and, you know, unfortunately, as we sort of just spoke about, discipline again um, gave the force the opportunity mm. to get to where they got to and, and win. But what I'm liking is, uh, I mean, the Drua, we're talking about that balance of attack with MP. In, in that um, first 40, they... 
played a lot and gave the force opportunities in their half and they didn't play that well but they came out in the second half and they played all their rugby down that end and, and if they can just put that together for 80 they, they will really challenge sides because there's one area they are dominating and that is breakdown physically on defence and yeah. attack they are, they are being brutal in that area and, and a lot of our game is played off the back of my um, good breakdown so they've got the opportunity and they're starting to put them, their players in form which uh, you know is exciting for when um, you know both Tasmans come together. Absolutely. The Brumbies was the other big win over the weekend. The Brumbies 16, the Reds 12, Bryn. They are now the only undefeated team in Super Rugby Pacific. Does, is it shaping as a team that you think is going to take down a couple of Kiwi sides? Well, look, they're, they're the only undefeated team. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you win ugly or, or, or well. You, you, they're getting the job done. You know, any time they have that kind of doobie against the Reds, you know, 16-12, tight finish and you know they probably could have possibly even got a penalty at the end against them that with that big scrum from the reds but did enough to get the job done so but i think you are right ross i think you know expectation for probably them is to be able to dominate and they're doing that with winning the games against the, um, the australian teams but i think the big one's going to be for when those new zealand teams come over but what they are doing is they are accumulating points the fact the new zealand teams are playing against each other and getting wins here and there and it's not an out-and-out out winner in our, in, our, in our conference at the moment. I know we're not playing in conferences, but just for the fact we're in Aotearoa at the moment, um, they're accumulating points, so they're putting themselves in a really good position for the back end when us Kiwi teams, we do good, we do go over there. Yeah, hey, why don't we move on to the Super Rugby Pacific Dream Team selections? So make sure you go to rugbypass.com, go check out the Super Rugby Pacific Dream Team each week, go in, Choose your favourite players in the weekend who you thought made that weekend's dream team. As the competition goes on, we'll be giving away subscriptions to rugbypass.com. And if you chose the closest team to the team that was selected by everyone all over the place, you'll get yourself a subscription. This week's winner is Kevin Purston. Of course, if you're the most consistent person over the length of the season, unfortunately for you, you'll be coming in here with us. And uh, you'll get a crack here on our Aotearoa Rugby Pod to say exactly what you think's going on. So, boys, let's have a look. This week, what are the big changes for you in your dream team, Jipper? There's quite a lot because, obviously, you know, a lot of games weren't played. So it's probably easier for me to just go 1-15, to if I'm honest, because they're pretty much all changed. I, I went for mm. Slipper, Slater and Ala Ala Toa in, in the front row. Uh, Retallic, and I've put Tupo Vai in at lock because I, I had to find space for Uru, um, the, the six for the Reds. Man, he's in some red-hot form over there, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing him go. Um, against our sides, but he, he's a line-out option. He's good in the collision, and, and he's great in the carry. So uh, he, he was he was outstanding. Burr, um, who was my player of the round, I, I thought for him to s slip in, in in Sam Kane's jersey or that seven jersey, uh, he held his own and then some. Put a gust at eight. Weber at nine. Gats uh, ten. Revolvo uh, from the Drua in twelve. Paisami at thirteen. Uh, Eleven. I went Tom Wright. I thought he, he had another solid game. Probably his consistency of form got him over Fumai. Um, Habosi uh, from the draw as well on the right wing. And then I've put O'Connor at 15 because I, I didn't think he played better than Gats, but he played well enough to get in uh, to my form 15. Um, I actually went pretty similar in the, in the forwards, but for number one, I went Ollie Norris from the Chiefs. I thought his turnover breakdowns were unreal on the weekend. I think he had three big turnovers in his ability to be able to get over the ball. We talk about it with the Northern Hemisphere and the ability to get over the ball. I think he's a guy to watch. I've gone Slater, Alalatoa, got Tupo Vai, uh, Brody Retell. I've gone Lee Warner from the force. Top top the tackle count and was a bit of a workhorse in that, in that game with 20 tackles. I've also gone Burr at seven, Peter Gus at eight, 
Uh, same Weber and, uh, and Brenner at 9 and 10. Uh, I've actually got Manasa Mataili from the force on the weekend. He um, was really electric on the weekend. Had 153 metres and had 14 carries as well and was back to his elusive self coming back from a long injury when he was with us. Uh, I've gone for the pairing of uh, Pyre and Nankerville. I've gone for those two. I wanted to go for Kitty and um, Parisi, who I thought were good for the Waratahs, but I thought the way that Bryn played well was set up due to the fact of Tupai and, and Nankerville. I've actually gone for my on the 14, uh, who I thought was good on, on the wing on the weekend. And I've actually gone I've actually gone Banks, Tom Banks. I had to put him in the in the in the 15, so I put him at fullback, who obviously isn't playing fullback, but I thought he was good on the weekend, so I had to put him in there somehow, and he's done that at 15. You like that as a, as a call? Yeah, oh, he can definitely play there. Yeah. He, he's, yeah, no no problems with that. I've moved uh, 10 to 15, so I'm not really going to be cracking <laughs> someone that moved a winger to fullback. Yeah, fair enough too. <laughs> well, while we're talking about Tom Banks, we've seen Dave Rennie name a 40-man squad for a camp early next season. This is the time where you start another campaign to become one of the <laughs> assistant coaches. Um, but <laughs> he's named a 40-man squad. There's an interesting omission for me, um, Matt Tumour. You know, obviously one of the elder statesmen of the Aussie game now. Um, would that surprise you that he's not there? Uh, not necessarily because, I don't know, the way it was is he said these players are all going to leave the camp knowing what they need to show in the coming weeks. I think uh, they know what Matt's about and, and they know what he can deliver. So there's probably a space taken up which they don't need. Uh, I'm not saying that that's the case, that's just the way I read it and, and I don't think it would be su uh, surprising if he did make the, the initial squad, even though missing this training squad. And it gives guys like Donaldson and um, those uncapped players the opportunity, one, for the coaches to learn a little bit more about them, but also for them to probably go into another pressure cooker, you know, because they're all quite new in their super rugby career, so it would have been a pressure cooker coming into those environments. This is only going to step it up um, even more and, and Dave Rennie always works in mysterious ways that normally come off for him so uh, I don't think it's the end of, of Matt's career, no. Were you surprised by any uh, inclusions or omissions, Bryn? Oh, I was just stoked to see uh, Neville. Is it, it's Caden Neville? Yeah. Caden? Yeah. Yeah, Caden, like 33, 33 years of age and is, you know, there's a possibility of debuting, you know, so uh, it's great to see him obviously in the, in the environment. He's done a bit of time in, in Japan and then come back to Australia and um, he's a bit of an athlete, man, considering his age. He's um, quite mobile and quite big. And, um, you know, we talk around the collision area, especially with the Northern Hemisphere teams at the moment. He's one guy that, um, that I've enjoyed watching due to the fact of his physicality. And also Nick Frost as well, another guy that's uh, a big beast and a big man, 206 centimetres. And um, it looks like it seems that Dave Rennie is looking to be able to bulk up his pack with having the likes of, um, you know, Neville and... And Frost in that, th in that loose fortress, sorry, the, the locking department. I think um, Jed Holloway comes into that as well. Like He's been tradesman-like mm. for a long time for the Tars and can yeah. play Lucy, and he's a big body and he, and he you know, plays with that physical uh, force that we're seeing in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think he factors into that as well. He's obviously uncapped, a little bit older at 29, uh, but so mm. deserving of an opportunity, man. He gives it all uh, week in, week out. And then... We probably can't miss out uh, Tony Pulu, mm. having, uh, you mm. know, speak of age, at 33 years um, of age, uh, I don't think, from my knowledge, there was a winger that's debuted um, uh, that old, especially winger, you know, like we see so many of our uh, wingers normally, you know, head off overseas, well, that's what he's done, but um, he went for a Wallabies jersey, didn't he? So it's great to see him in there, and, and Dave obviously has a 
hell of a lot of respect for him and, and knows a lot about him having had him at the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of these guys, I remember Lomi Fatal was like that. At that age, still lightning quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, hadn't lost that pace just yet. Um, well, we can move. Yeah, well, Bryn's been um, giving Matiele a big rap, but, but when Pulu's had his opportunity for the force, he's, he's been great um, as well. And mm. I think both of them are working well in tandem. Um, so yeah. I, I also think that force pack has provided some great ball. They might not have been at their top end game on the weekend, but before that, that you know, there was talks of you know expecting them to beat teams like the Reds and the Brumbies. So I don't think everyone would have said that at the start of the season. It's on the back of those boys up front giving guys like that the opportunity to perform. Hey, let's have a look up north. We've done Southern Hemisphere. Up north is where it's at at the moment because wow, France. We've talked ad nauseum about them for the last two years. They are it. First title since 2010. They are 100% the favourites now for the next Rugby World Cup. Is that a fair statement? Oh, definitely at the moment, yep. Um, but we know that can change pretty quickly. But what I would say about them is I had a little bit of a crack at them um, around their breakdown against the Irish and the fact that they were trying to go for everything and spending two or three men at each defensive ruck, which created opportunities for guys like Jamison Gibson Park. Man, they mm. have sorted that out tenfold. Uh, that was the biggest difference I felt between the two sides. Like I thought England turned up, you know, with a with a clear game plan of kicking, um, but their their ability to get it back was was worthwhile um, with that tactics, and and they were sort of there just after the break. But if you watch the French tries, it's all from their attacking cleanouts, a sucking in. You could just see it from the white jerseys when they go to the wide shot. They were just like sucked right in. And then it was those easy balls over the top or defender drifted too early, which created that try just before half time. Um, and that's just so damaging. When you're winning collisions with big bodies and you're getting good long cleans, defence has to suck in because you know they'll pick through the middle because we saw DuPont score like that. So they've, they've got that, you know, they've just got threats everywhere due to the fact they're winning those collisions. And that's... That's the difference. And, and as we've seen from the last World Cup, the team that was the most brutal and, and you know, we're looking for that side. And, and I suppose this is why someone like Peter Gus has come into the frame of All Black Talk because he has that size. He can, he can really move bodies and get you on the front mm. foot. And, and guys like Woki and Co on the weekend just delivered that. But then obviously DuPont and Intermark um, put the others into space. So, I mean, there's a lot to like. Mm. There's, there, there's a lot to like about their game. On the other mm. footprint, England's had a tough year last year, two from five this year. You know, Eddie Jones is now being questioned, is this the bloke for the job? What is going wrong for them? Oh, I think, to be honest, I think it's just having that kind of more of an attacking mindset. Like, I think I think it's more so, like, when they are scoring their points, a lot of their points have been scored through penalties. And, like, obviously there's based around scoreboard pressure. And what they are doing, they're going to a strong set piece. They, they love going to their line-out more and being able to build pressure through going to their line-out more. And then you look at Ben Young's on the weekend, the, the contestable game that they were able to do with that, his execution and kicked it really, really well to be able to suffocate and being able to really tighten up teams. Um, but if you look at the, you know, for example, the French, you know, the 40th and the 60th minute, they're scoring tries to, to win test matches. And in big moments, you, can, you, know, you, you know that you've got to be able to be on because whether it be off a turn-off ball, you talk about um, the pont and him being able to be able in and around the ball, Intermac, you know, if you look in that first try, it was on go good, go forward ball, playing on top of teams, asking questions, and then they score points off that. So I think that that's the biggest thing for England, I think, moving forward. Yes, we know that they've got the contestable game with Ben Young, so they did on the weekend. Um, they've got a strong set piece. You know, you look at the week last week where they were down to seven men, 
were still dominating and winning scrum time penalties and then the line out work with um with the toje and the likes of laws and that being able to build pressure through that but i think they've got to score tries especially against france and the likes of england we've talked around their scoring tries and the ability to be able to score tries a, a lot of them um, I think England have got to be able to be a little bit more attacking and um, score more points through tries, not penalties. I, I think that's that's the key. Like we said it, um, you know, last week, even the week before, you're not going to win the Six Nations by three points, you know, three point gathering mm. anymore. Uh, I think they scored before the weekend seven tries. Five of them came um, from the Italy game. Mm. So then there's two tries before um, their one on the weekend. Uh, it, you, you were never going to beat the French in threes. It just they they want they want seven, and they're relentless about it. Um, to the facts I've already sort of outlaid, but um, there's that aspect. But also, I think they need to uh, look at you know that semi-final. We've spoken about how dominant they were in the defensive collision. They're just not buying mm. their outsides the ability to defend that space at the moment because it's you know they're on the back foot. There's not enough numbers. There's just too much going on. Um, in and around that breakdown so um, a big shift will be their defensive collisions and, and making sure that they're the team because they sort of were the team everyone left the World Cup I know the Springboks won um, but everyone was just like wow you know that's that's some physical dominance they're showing there and they've probably just lost that a little bit. Sorry just one thing I want to bring up with the French as well we talk around their attacking ability and their scoring tries but look I think defensively they were they made massive shifts in the last two weeks and what I mean by that is around on the edge play with the, with um, Dante and Fiku, and big moments in that game. You know, Dante's done it a lot. I've talked about it a lot in, on the show around his ability to be able to be over the ball, get steals, and relieve pressure. Fiku on the weekend had two big steals in that game, where England were building momentum and been able to like you know build a lot of pressure, and then they turn them in. They get they get high on the edge, whether it be with the winger with Villiers or or Pinot, and then they go right back into to Fiku or Dante, and just been able to get that that pressure and that, that jacking of the ball, um, I think those two in tandem, 12 and 13, we talk around um, the South African pairing, but Dante and Fiku on, defense, on defensive players, they've been massive in the Six Nations. And that's what I was sort of getting at before is, is their breakdown both sides of the ball, but it's also mm. their decision-making. Like, I, I hate to harp on about it, but you get killed in reviews if you go into a breakdown and one, you don't get it slow, you don't slow that ball for um, over three seconds, or you don't get it back, mm. or you don't get a penalty. And and if you don't do that and you've entered a break, you've, you're answerable to that. And I thought, you know, like I've said in the past, they've gone too hard at that early. Their strike rate would be over 80 plus percent on the weekend, and, and it was the same the week before. And, and that's just so massive um, for your defence to have that sort of time or ability to turn the ball over. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. It's uh, very scary. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, like to their credit, they would have learned a lot from last year's Six Nations when they were the favourites and probably yeah. probably buttoned off what they're doing during the week to make sure they turned up, you know, ready to go. And, and to me, they just never, even when they weren't playing well, they found a way. And that's when you know Correct. a team's really on, on task. Yeah, the Welsh have gone kind of the opposite direction, haven't they? They've fallen off this year. What's going on there? I think there's a lot of change, a lot of rotation of players, um, and, and I mean, it was a kick fest that that Test match. And and to be fair, both sides defensively were were strong, um, but that one try that won the game, uh, you know. And I know this is the common theme of today is is that discipline. So they kicked five penalties before that, and that put them the ability to 
to have that moment of um, you know success. But a lot of it comes back down to that 80-minute performance and the opportunities you give teams to build that scoreboard pressure. And as I said, you know, to the fact I said you're not going to win the Six Nations in threes, but they kept themselves within a sniff to do something magical that will that will come off one time out of ten, and it did. But it shows they have the ability to score points. So let's talk about that magic yeah. now, Bryn. Um Anje Kapuotso, uh, second mm. test match. 50 kilograms ringing wet, this kid. Like, he is absolutely tiny. 22 years old. Uh, it's, I, I looked online, it said anywhere between 66 and 76 kg, depending on which website you went on to. <laughs> like, I mean, he is very, very small kid. But my goodness, the way he broke that hole open and set up Eduardo Padovani for that winner was incredible. Oh, it was. It was, you know, and it seemed like a moment like that had to happen for Italy to get their first one, you know, with gone, I don't know, what, seven years? Seven Six, years since the last one. 36 tests, Six? I think it was. 36 test matches, so, you know, something special had to be brewing, and that was an individual performance. You know, I heard um, raves around a Christian Cullen-esque with the ability that he was able to do there, and so, um, yeah, what a, what a great moment for that young man, and, you know, more so for Italy as well. You know, we can be disappointed in the Welsh, and their expectation was to win that, uh, but, you know, our, oh, sorry, Italy held on there to be able to give themselves the opportunity to win a game, and a guy that been able to do some footwork, some speed, some then the ability to finish, to be able to finish. We talk around execution, to finish games and big moments. And he actually got probably I don't know whoever scored the try. The Welsh guy actually pushed him forward to be able to get the to get the try. So, uh, but no, what a moment! Uh, what a moment in a game. And you know, he's probably one guy that we'll be looking forward to seeing the Italian jersey moving forward, especially going coming up to the World Cup. <laughs> I think we can guarantee that. Um, for, for I think he secured himself at least three or four tests in a row. Um, I, I think the most important thing that came out of it for me was how composed Kieran Crowley was. And he was like, oh, look at everyone. You know, It's like we won the World Cup, but we haven't. Um, we've got a real young, young group here. And you can straight away see him as a coach is like, right, this is the platform now. I've been working towards this. Now we're going to the next level, and, and this is how we can progress this group. Um, and, and I thought mm. that was quite um, – I just thought it was key for me because he could have over-celebrated as well. I'm sure he enjoyed it, um, no doubt, but it was just how focused he was, like this is our springboard to our next sort of stage. Um, and, and, you know, you and I were just talking to J.K., um, before and he was saying, you know, the under 20s program is, is winning a lot of games and, and really challenging the top teams over there. Uh, and um, Kieran Crowley's been in their club side mm. um, competition coaching, so he knows a lot of their players, he knows the style they want to play. Um, so things are looking on the up, but I think they needed this win for everyone to start mm. to look at that stuff. Do you know what I mean? No, that's always been there. But we probably haven't dug that deep around it. But now that they've had this win, everyone's starting to go, well, this is a reason why this win's happened. And they can blossom with confidence out of it. The other game on the weekend, Ireland versus Scotland. I think it was, what, 26-5. The Irish got a pretty good win over the Scottish. At the start of this campaign, we were talking up Scotland. They've done almost the opposite to the French. We've built through the campaign. The Scottish started strong and just faded away. Two things for me. One, the Scottish should try not to play England at the start because <laughs> they blow up all of their good stuff at the start when they play England first up. But what's going on there with Scotland? Why are they falling off, Bryn? Oh, I think I, well, we, we were advocates for them. The way I think early in the competition, even I picked them to, you know, to upset a few of those games. And so um, I think for me personally, it's the on the, on the weekend, 
the physicality of the Irish, oh, sorry, of the Irish was the difference in the end. I think um, you know early doors they're up to a fourteen 0 start with the domination of you know set piece and then being able to just really brutally physically dominate the collision. And we've talked about it a lot on the show winning collisions and breakdown and, and those kind of battles. I just think the the Irish were, were a lot better on the on the weekend. Um, you know he looked for a lot of those tries. Um, you know they were pretty simple to be honest, just around the corner. Quick ball, dominating. Jamison Gibson Park making some good decisions whether to go the same way or come back to where the space is. And I think that was probably the difference on the weekend. I think physicality-wise, I think if you're off just a little bit, you know, we've been advocates for, for the Scottish um, during the six, especially the start of the Six Nations, but I think, you know, winning the physicality battle um, is probably where they lost it on the weekend. Ireland, though, against New Zealand in July, are they set up now to have a good crack at the All Blacks? Do you think that they could beat that New Zealand in that series? I think it'll be the true test of them. You know, like mm. coming down here to win away from home um, and Im- implement the same sort of aura they have in Ireland and Dublin. You know, like they do seem like men possessed. Um, so I think if they can, you know, bring that sort of focus and, and physicality, they'll, they'll definitely be in with a chance. And as in past years, if you asked me that, I'd be like, no, no, All Blacks will win the series. Um, it's it's a lot closer and a lot harder to pick, but I still feel like the All Blacks will have the favourites to have been at home. Mm-hmm. And the All Blacks have also got Joe Schmidt lurking, which might help with a little bit of intel this time around, Brent. Well, no, it does. Obviously, he was a big part of that um, resurgence and where Ireland are now. So anytime you can have that kind of info to be able to bring into the All Blacks environment um, to get some little one percenters or, you know, half a percent in what they do. Um, but I think for me personally as well, I think um, hopefully they get to bring their full squad down, the strongest squad in the Six Nations. Um, sometimes, you know, they um, fall in that battle with the clubs back home where they can't bring them down here. But I think it'd be great to be a great spectacle if you can get the top Irish team that we've seen in the Six Nations. Um, to come down to New Zealand in a, in a really good Test match series that um, you know I'm looking forward to, and I can I can only imagine in that side of the of the world they're looking forward to seeing that challenge against the All Blacks. If if they want to win 2023, uh, surely their motivation and their club's motivation is we springboard ourselves right into this you know yeah. with our internal confidence, but also mm. you know um, our outward confidence and, and and our belief of our people to travel to France, which isn't as far as it is to this this side. Um, leaving New Zealand, winning a series, yeah. I mean, that would be as big a statement as what France has made, mm. I believe. Yeah. Well, it would be the biggest moment probably in Irish rugby history. I mean, they, it was big enough to beat the All Blacks twice in the last few years, but that's not beating them in New Zealand. Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with Bryn. Like, I, I hope they bring their number one and they come down here with on a mission. Obviously, I want the All Blacks to win, but um, it'll, it'll be great viewing. So while we're talking that series in a couple of months' time, what about England-Australia? How does that play out? Do you feel like England go into that as, as favourites at all? Or is this fairly level pegging with the Aussies? I think it's level pegging as well. I think it's similar to um, the ABs and, and the Irish. Uh, you know, England have got a bit of work to do, as we've spoken about. Um, and they'll come up, I suppose, it against a different style. But we do know... If you, we've spoken about the guys that are in that 40-man squad. It's a clear idea of where Dave Rennie felt they fell short in their end-of-year tour, and it's that physicality, mm. collision, set-piece, dominated um, style. And we know they like to hold on to the ball, so it will be a war of attrition, um, and they'll be travelling. So I do think, though, Eddie Jones is great under pressure, 
um, and him coming mm. home, there'll be a lot of motivation for him to get his squad right, but also the structure of his weeks and the structure of the tour right that brings the best out of his players. Not to mention there's a whole heap of pressure on Eddie Jones, period. Reading. But I think he likes it. Yeah. I don't know. He, he sometimes yeah. can create that himself. Um, it brings yeah. the best out of him um, to get the best out of the group. So, yeah, I, I, he's been around so long, man. He's, he knows more tricks than, than I most. Think, I think what it does, he always does it as well. It takes the pressure off the playing group. Yeah. You know, Eddie's really good at being able to play that kind of uh, media circus and being able to manipulate it to the way that he wants. But he doesn't mind. Put all, put all that pressure on me, take it away from the players, and then they can just focus on what they need to do that week to week and then trainings and in games I always think of him maybe a bit like Jose Mourinho in the football he, you bring him in he makes a huge change they suddenly turn around and then it kind of just yeah but I feel like he's trying to prove that wrong yeah oh, I feel like he's really determined to turn this round I don't know that's the feeling I get um, and I certainly wouldn't bet against him yeah he's certainly speaking very confidently considering he came off what a 25-13 loss to France and just two wins from five in this competition, he's still talking about the fact that this is the team that's going to go to France and win the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is a hell of a thing to say, really. We're still a long way out-ish now. Yeah. Still a, you know, a year and a bit, so um, it's amazing. We've, I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, we spoke about it at the end of the All Blacks tour, um, you know, teams that we just are like, man, there's no touching them going into that World Cup and mm. they never win it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, history tells us to be on our toes. Especially if we're from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, but that's one thing it does do, Bryn. The pressure is right off the All Blacks outside of the public expectation and their own expectation in New Zealand because the rest of the world is no longer looking at New Zealand as the favourite. Over the last couple of years, that slipped away. And whether New Zealanders like it or not, people won't be talking about them as number one for the next two years. Is that good, well, though? Like, I mean, motivation on walls and... Um, oh, yeah. bringing people on the, on a new journey. It, it might just mm. be the turn that, that, that um, the group needed. Mm. Um, maybe I'm glass think, half full here. But. Yeah, but no, I, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great challenge and I can imagine that Fozzie and the, and the All Black group and the, and the leadership as well will be able to be able to galvanise the group with that, you know. So, you know, very rarely is an All Black team regarded as an underdog going into a World Cup or just in general. So, um, they'll take that, you know, I can only imagine in that environment, they'll take it as a challenge and say, oh, sweet, cool, we, 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 we get that, but all right, we'll, we'll continue to keep showing you. So that's the only way that oh. I could think of it. It'll be a great challenge for them. Excited already. <laughs> I'm excited already. What's going to happen? Okay, before we go, let's go through our picks of the weekend in Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, the Six Nations obviously is done, so we don't have to worry too much about that. We talked about it before, Moana Pacifica versus the Hurricanes for you. Hurricanes. You Hurricanes. Yep, Hurricanes. Uh, Rebel versus Drua. Drua. Yes, he Drua. loves the Rebels. Absolutely <laughs> loves the Rebels. I'm going to go Drua as well. <laughs> um, Force versus Brumbies. 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 Highlanders, Blues. Blues. Yeah, Blues. Chiefs, Crusaders. This is the biggie, isn't it? Waikato. Chiefs. Chiefs. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'll back ourselves. Yeah, back I'll back the, our team. Backing the Crusaders while saying that the Chiefs are absolutely the favourite. Um, <laughs> yeah, classic. And the Reds versus the Waratahs, the uh, State of the Union game. Reds, Waratahs. 
Reds. Reds. Where's that been played? That's Reds at home, Suncorp. Yeah, Reds. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, that's interesting. Like, I feel like the Reds are a team that can do some interesting things this year. So, you know, the Waratahs have got some surprise packages in there, though. Oh, they certainly do. And, and Brent alluded to it, their midfield combination. If that, you know, Holloway gave a decent spray to his own team. I know they won, but he gave a decent spray to his own forward pack, so they'll be better for it. But I, I still think the Reds will get up. Right, well, thank you very much, guys. Once again, James Parsons yes. in Auckland. Bryn Hall down in Christchurch preparing to play for the Crusaders against the Chiefs this weekend. Thank you all for joining us this week again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Of course, catch all of the footy on Sky Sport and catch all the analysis on RugbyPass.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.